We turn to the passage we read in the Gospel according to John, John chapter 3, and we shall read again at verse 21. John chapter 3 at verse 21. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Amen. These words come at the conclusion of the interview between the Lord Jesus Christ and Nicodemus. We are told certain things regarding Nicodemus in the chapter. We're told that first and foremost, he was a Pharisee. That conveys a certain impression to us, does it not? One who might be well-schooled in the letter of the Jewish religion, especially the law, but also very familiar with the tradition of the elders those things which were added uh, to God's law over time and in a very real sense subtracted from God's law, making it of none effect. And the Pharisees had the reputation of being men of authority. They liked to have command over the people, influence over them, but they did not always enjoy it because the people saw them, even as Christ labeled them, hypocrites. And that, because they would command one thing and do another thing themselves. And they were known, of course, as being self-righteous, priding themselves on their obedience to the Lord of Moses. And having no conception, it seems, of salvation by grace. He's also described as a ruler of the Jews, a member then of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews, and so a man of authority and a man of influence, man well-known, man uh, of whom many might have some good to say, and others perhaps not so favorable an opinion. A master of Israel. That suggests he taught, as the Pharisees generally did. They had a teaching responsibility. They were to make known the requirements of God and his law the demands of the law, and the people might come under their teaching to learn regarding their own Old Testament scriptures. Well, we read here of coming to the light. And this man, Nicodemus, was a man who came to the light. In a sense, he did that literally by coming to Jesus, and yet 
spiritually. And that is the most important thing. We believe he came to the light. And the light came to him and entered him. He who was proud, he who was far from God, although a religious and devout man, became at length a sincere, humble disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We wish to consider then coming to the light. This is something we all need to do. And to understand what the light is, what it is to come to that light, what the consequence of that is. These things, as the Lord may help us. Firstly, what this light is. The light spoken of in the text as in many places in scripture, is surely one thing. It is the word of God. God speaking, making himself known, and having his own word committed to writing and preserving it, that the generations of his covenant people, and then the nations of the world, should have this light more sure word of prophecy, that which is settled in heaven, that which is established, and is it not eternal truth that we have in the word of God? A light that shines in a dark place. And the light supremely is Jesus Christ. I am the light of the world. Those who follow Christ will not be walking in darkness. They will have the light of life. Gospel light. When Adam was created, he was created, of course, as one that knew God was rightly related to God. He was righteous and holy, and he had access to God, communion with God, and God was his joy and his delight. The light of the knowledge of God was in his soul. But we know what happened. Satan came, tempting, and through Eve, firstly, deceiving her regarding that one fruit that was forbidden to them, fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Eve then giving that fruit to Adam, and he also partaking of it. That was sin. That was the infringement of that specific command that God had given to our first parents. And upon their obedience to that command, their residency in the Garden of Eden depended. And if they would break it, well, then they would be cast out. 
and that would represent an end of the fellowship which they enjoyed with God, God their maker and benefactor. And when Adam sinned, the light of the knowledge of God that was in his soul went out and darkness was then found in his soul. Great darkness, gross darkness. There is no darker place on earth than a sinner's heart. Coming into the world, we come in as darkness. That is our nature. That is not to say we have no conception of God. This is very important. We all have a conscience. There's the light of nature, the witness of God that he's left us in the creation and in his works in providence. And I think it is true to say that we all know that there is a God. We know that. And we're running from it. And we love the darkness because we think there we're somehow away from God. God does not see us. He does not know us. Our deeds, our words, our thoughts. God knows everything. The darkness is to God as the light. Nothing is hidden from his gaze. The Lord shone light there in the Garden of Eden immediately after the fall. This is a wonderful thing. Before he cast them out, before he'd even pronounced the curse upon the creation, God spoke of the seed of the woman. And he would send one in the fullness of the time. Uh, God uh, would send his only begotten son. He would become man in the mystery of the incarnation. Walk upon this earth and live the life that man was meant to live. And he would lay down his life for sinners. And that's all there in Genesis chapter 3. And verse 15, God would put enmity between Satan, his seed, and the woman and her seed, centrally Christ. Christ would bruise the head of the serpent, Satan, and Christ's heel would be bruised in so doing. There's light there. And that light shone more and more brightly through the Old Testament. And you can study that from book to book. Some books are particularly rich in showing us the scheme of redemption, how God would save his people, by whom he would save them, and what the Savior would do to save his people. Then Christ himself 
came. He appeared in our world. Obscurely, we might say, it was a modest entrance into the world in Bethlehem of Judea. And that was an insignificant town. But this was of God. This is uh, the way in which the Lord would reveal himself. God would not uh, be coming to receive the praise of men, Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees and so on. He was coming for his people. And you might say, well, were not the Jews his people? Certainly they were, his covenant people. But by the time of Christ's coming, religion in Israel had gone so low that there were few truly godly individuals. And you note them in Matthew and Luke in particular, Simeon, Anna in the temple, Elizabeth, Zacharias. You know their names, but they were few. And the Lord was coming for them and for others like them, not for the proud, not for those who lorded it over their fellow men. Christ had no kind word for the Pharisees. And that makes it all the more wonderful that this man, Nicodemus, receives mercy. And you note that he comes to Jesus by night. And he does that because he does not want to be seen with Jesus, consulting him, learning from him. That would be excommunication for him. His fellow Pharisees and members of the Sanhedrin would cast him out that he should be seen with Jesus Christ. This great light of the gospel and reaching its peak, its zenith with the coming of the Savior himself. But how few beheld the light, truly beheld it. When you study the Gospels, Christ beginning his public ministry, for a time there are multitudes following him. They're flocking to hear him, but we must say even more to see what he does, to observe his miracles. That's why they're coming. Mighty deeds, signs and wonders, not so much. His preaching of the kingdom of God, which was the great thing. The miracles were attesting to him as the prophet, as the redeemer, and that the word that he brought was from God. The truth, light for a dark world. And it remains the only light in this dark world. A blessed light. And to measure this light, to assess it, 
we might try to imagine what the world would be like without the gospel. What our own land would be like without the gospel. And sadly, we do not have to imagine it. Because more and more, our land in particular, is darkening. And the light is going out. It's not wanted. It's rejected. Men love darkness rather than light. That is in us all. If we are left to ourselves. Your prayer and my prayer at this time must be to a merciful God. That he would not withdraw the light. You may say, well, do we not have our Bibles? Does not everyone still have a Bible? Many may have a Bible. But it's not read. And perhaps in many places it may be read. Fittingly. Fitfully. Uh, but there's no prayerful desire to know the truth, no longing within the soul to understand its message. And we see a slide into grosser forms of immorality, spiritual and moral confusion, unnatural behaviors, destructive behaviors. And it is because the light spoken of here, is not wanted. And we might say it's not shining as it once did in our land. If you go back to the time before the Reformation, popish darkness, the darkness of superstition, where well, we're in danger of entering into that again. We bless God for the wonderful work he did. When he caused the scriptures to be studied again and translated into the languages of the people. And the people weary of the hypocrisy of those leading the church then went gladly to the scriptures, drank in the truth and were blessed by it that the Lord would revive his work in our day and return us to the principles of the Reformation and a spiritual hunger and thirsting as there was in that day. So the light is the light of the gospel, God's word read and preached, going forth in power. That's the light we all need. Secondly, who comes to this light? We are told, he that doeth truth cometh to the light. Nicodemus, there was something of a stirring within his soul. There was a sense of lacking. The true knowledge of God, 
fellowship with God, especially a sense of guilt. He had a true sense of his sin and the shame of it. It's these things that bring people to the light, bring people to Jesus Christ. At the beginning, the sense of these things may be weak. But the sense of it grows. The burden becomes heavier and heavier. And you cannot stay away. You must come to the light. You desire to know the truth. This is opposite uh, to how we are by nature. By nature, we hide from God's light. There are many people who never open the Bible. They never attend public worship. They are afraid, perhaps, of what they might discover if they read the scriptures or if they sat under evangelical preaching. Their conscience has told them, is telling them, that they're not fit for God, that they're not in the way to go to heaven, and their conscience telling them that they are sinful, that God is displeased with them, left to themselves, they hide. They hide in their work, their family, their pleasures, in anything that might distract them from having to think about their soul and their soul in relation to God. Many people hide in their religion. You think of all the religions in this world, and they are Satan's devices to keep people away from God and away from salvation. Religion can take a hold of people and grip them. And they practice it in a superstitious way. And they're told and they, they think that if they don't do certain things, observe certain rites, keep up these things, then God, their God, will be angry with them. And so they carry on with the duty day after day, week after week, month after month. It's a bondage. False religion. But there are those who are able somehow to hide, even in the house of God. And they may be there regularly. And they may be hearing the word read and preached. But the light does not enter, enter their heart. Somehow they keep it out. They shut their ears to what they hear. They do not let the truth rest in their mind, in their heart. They do not cover it with prayer and meditation. It's falling on stony ground. There's no good soil there. There's no depth. 
There's nothing that can truly grow. They're hiding even in God's house. These people who hide from the light, the light of the gospel, have this in common. They do not wish to be confronted with the truth. And we know that today one of Satan's cleverest devices is to persuade men that you cannot know the truth. You cannot really know it for sure. As though it's all a matter of the individual's opinion. And what is true for one person may not necessarily be true for another. Can you see the darkness there? Can you see how the wicked one entraps and ensnares souls there, deceiving them with this thought? There is no truth, no absolute truth. At least we cannot know it. Would God leave us in that situation? Would not God make himself known? Has not God made himself known in the scriptures? Do they not have the mark, the hallmark of God running through them? The majesty, the things that are made known that could not otherwise be known. The righteousness, the perfect holiness of the precepts which are commanded there. And the wonder of the gospel way of salvation. And the infinite love of God seen in Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And there are those who are drawn to this light. This is the Lord's doing, and all praise to him for that. Drawn to the preaching of the gospel, something is happening within their soul. There's a glimmer of light, a grasp of the truth, and they're being brought out of their darkness. They want to know the truth concerning themselves, however humbling that might be, and it is humbling. By nature, we think highly of ourselves, more highly than we ought to think. What are we? God's creatures finite, and moreover sinful, alienated from God by wicked works, going further and further astray into greater and greater darkness as we go on. And if there is to be salvation for such, it must come from God. And blessed be his name for the gospel of Christ which is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that 
believers. If the Lord is working in your soul, you see something you never saw before. You see the beauty of God and the beauty of God's holiness. When those who are really of the world speak about God, they might refer to the love of God. That is a glorious truth, but they never really understand it because they separate it from God's other attributes, from his holiness and righteousness. And to many in the world, salvation is simply God loving sinners and loving them in such a way that he'll take them to heaven, all of them, irrespective of what they think of him, whether they have any regard for his word, his law, or not. God does not and cannot save sinners apart from satisfaction to his justice. That is fundamental. And that explains the cross. Why did the Son of God hang upon the accursed tree of Calvary? For this reason. If sinners were to enter heaven, and sinners have no ability in themselves to do what is right in God's sight to please him, to satisfy his justice, the demands of his law, then the only way those sinners can enter heaven is if another takes their place. There you have Jesus Christ coming into the world. And he's made man. But he's not sinful. He has nothing of sin, personal sin. And this spotless lamb of God is taking the place of hell-deserving, defiled, guilty sinners given to him by the Father. And their sin is reckoned to Christ. The guilt of their sin is imputed to Christ. And so God punishes Christ instead of his people. And the wrath of God is exhausted in the sufferings of Christ, body and soul, so that his people will never experience God's avenging wrath. The beauty of God. The beauty of his holiness. Do you see it? And do you then understand the cross? Why it had to be that way? Jesus, our great high priest, offering himself the sacrifice for sinners of mankind. And God accepted the sacrifice. 
well pleased with his son. And the resurrection of the Savior is the great scripture testimony to the success of his redeeming work. Death could not hold him. He had dealt with the sins of his people and put them all away. In the light of God's holiness, surely we see our sinfulness. Are we ashamed of what we are by nature? What we have done and what we are doing? Are we looking for the way of salvation? Are we seeking the Savior? Nicodemus was doing that when he came to Jesus by night. He had this burden. Even though he was a respectable man and well known for being religious, that is not what matters. You have to look within. You have to look into your own heart and know yourself in the light of God's word. And especially to see yourself as measured against the standard of God's holy law. There we are weighed in the balances and we are all found wanting, desperately wanting. And we need the righteousness of Christ, the perfect righteousness of the mediator, as our righteousness. Nicodemus, though a Pharisee, he needed that righteousness. Finally, why they come to this light. There are those who are blessed by God under the gospel. And the light that they once hid from, they come unto. It's there in the text. He that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Well, God works a wonderful change in the heart of the sinner. You have it in our chapter. You're familiar with it. Nicodemus did not understand it when Christ spoke of being born again, born from above by the Spirit of God, being regenerated within. He didn't understand Christ explained it patiently, and we believe that already there, at his first meeting with Christ, there was something of a dawning in his soul, of an understanding of what was necessary for him to be right with God. The change is a change that takes place. In union with Christ. That's the secret of the Christian life. The sinner is joined to the Savior. 
And the sinner is joined to the Savior by faith. Faith is the gift of God. True saving faith, Nicodemus had faith in God. He believed in Jehovah, but he did not believe in Jesus Christ. And scripture makes it plain that if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you do not truly believe in God. One God, three persons, and Christ the only mediator between men and God. Great change in the depths of the soul. It's not that the Lord's people, believers, cease to sin. Oh, they are sinners until their dying day. And that grieves them. And they're exercised about it. And they go day after day mourning that they are not better than they are. But they do not mourn. They do not sorrow without hope. Because they know that a change has taken place. They know that there is a life there now in their soul which was not there before. And they know it because they have this light. The scriptures have come alive. They speak. They run after the Christian. God has come to his people. He's laid hold of them. And we rejoice in that. We were running, we were hiding. We did not want the light of the gospel of the Lord by his mighty power and irresistible grace conquered and subdued us and caused us to bow the knee to Christ the King of Kings. Still, Sinners, but sincere, confessing their sin. Do you do that before God? Every Christian knows not only faith, but also repentance. Never forget that. The two sides of the same coin cannot have one without the other. A believing repentance, a penitent faith, that is the Christian in union with Christ Jesus. And the desire of the one who is born again is to follow Christ. And following Christ means to be obedient to Christ. When we call him Lord, we are saying that he is the one who has sovereignty over us. He has ownership of us. And we are bound to be obedient to Christ. And we desire to be obedient. We want to know what the Lord of God teaches. What the precepts require of us. We know that we're not saved by any obedience we can render to the Lord. As saved sinners, we're saved by God's grace alone and through the righteousness of Christ alone. Jesus spoke to Nicodemus of the Spirit. 
the Spirit of God. Those words in verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And what Christ is saying there, and this is very important, is that the working of the Spirit is not something that is immediately apparent, not to the physical eye. There's a hiddenness about the work of the Spirit, but the effects of that work will be made manifest. Not every Christian can say when he or she was born again, when a saving change took place. And that is not the essential thing. The essential thing is that that change has taken place. By their fruits ye shall know them. So there is a question for us here this evening. Is there spiritual fruit in your life? Has the Lord entered in, given light to you, understanding of the truth, and strength to keep God's commandments and to walk in all the ways of the Lord, seeking to serve and glorify God. The fruit of the Spirit, the love and the joy and the peace, and all the other blessed fruit. One fruit, every believer has something of all of these graces, and supremely to love God and to love our fellow men, especially those who are of the household of faith, seeking to do good unto all. And when you are converted to Christ, your great desire is to make your Savior known by life, and by lip, because you know how precious he is. He has transformed your life. He has given you a new purpose, a fulfilling one. The joy of the Lord has entered your soul. You have a sure hope. You know that you are on the way to a blessed eternity. An everlasting mansion in the heavenly city. You want others to go with you. That's someone who's born again. Religion is something powerful. True religion. It altogether changes the individual. It's not superficial. It's within the soul. And the evidences then become manifest. Good works whereby the Lord is glorified. Let us conclude with Nicodemus. Once again, he came to the Lord by night with his questions. And he got answers to his questions. 
came to the light, and light was coming to his soul. A good work had begun. And you see Nicodemus there in John chapter 19. There has been more light. There has been a a development in his confidence that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the Savior promised by God. And after the crucifixion, Nicodemus with Joseph of Arimathea, another secret disciple, they give the body of Jesus a proper burial. And from that point on, we would understand that Nicodemus was no longer a secret disciple. He confessed Christ follower, and one who was a witness to his fellows, coming to the light. It is essential for us to both hear the gospel and receive it, and that by God's grace, and our prayer should be that the Lord would indeed shine in our hearts to give the knowledge of his glory, the light of that knowledge in the face of Jesus Christ, that we may be found trusting in him for salvation. May the Lord bless his word. Let us pray. O Lord God, Shine, we pray, by thy word and spirit into every soul and give us that strength and ability to come to the light, even to Jesus Christ made known to us in the gospel. And we thank thee that thou dost save with an everlasting salvation all who come unto thee by him. Watch over us then, take us to our homes in safety, and keep these things in our hearts and minds. Forgiving sin for Jesus' sake. Amen.